0: There is no real news in video games at the moment, um, mm. which is like a thing. There's some stuff coming up, uh, but there's not a lot going on for obvious reasons, right? Like like all kinds of entertainment media, things are being stretched out at the moment. So we thought that we could maybe, um, over the next few months, look at some kind of more esoteric stuff. Uh, so we're actually going to talk about our favorite video game controllers today, which is Federico's wonderful idea. But of course, we have the man with the history with the man with the knowledge on the show. Shahid, can you give us a whistle-stop tour of video game controllers, please?
1: Absolutely. So, what are they for? What are video game controllers for? Essentially, they are a device that translates human intent into signals that can be read by and processed by a computing device. The computing device then, obviously, to make it meaningful, will use the information that it has now created from the signal and create some kind of output. Now, I've necessarily left these terms vague because controllers can have input to a computer, but they can also receive output from a computer. Mm. The very earliest controllers were the simplest possible intent signal, in that they were comprised of a switch. And a switch is basically a 1 or a 0. So the switch is open, that means it's not doing anything, there's no intent being read, that was the default state, or it's closed. And closing a switch is like pressing a button. So far so easy. So the idea being that if you close a switch, that sends an electrical signal representing, and in uh, in the electronics world, a closed switch is zero, not one, so everything gets inverted. It means the circuit has been closed. Suddenly, the computer picks this signal up on one of its ports, and goes, okay, this is what I've received, this is what I'm going to do. Now, in the really, really early days, and we won't spend too much time on the really, really early days, because nobody cares except me, you'd have like a keyboard or a teletype terminal, something like that, which might send a signal a very long way. So, for example, you had a, a timeshare computer sitting in some office somewhere, or in some computing center in a large building, you would use a remote what, terminal... Like Stadia? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, <laughs> the very far away. <laughs> we will come to that. Pretty much everything, everything that goes, everything that goes round right? comes <laughs> around. You know that's, that's so life. Great. Okay. Look, uh, we were going to come back to that, but yeah, basically that's it. So in the old days, you'd press a key, sends the signal over a a leased line, typically in those days, to a university computer. Eventually, you'd get a character back on your screen. And that turnaround time will take a very, very long time. The difference between that and video game controllers is that all of that happened instantaneously, usually in an arcade machine. You'd press the button, it'd go into a computer, it'd respond pretty much instantaneously and within one frame, which is 20 milliseconds on a 50 frames per second device, or 16.67 milliseconds on a 60 frames Per second device, and it was typically sixty frames per second devices. You would have a response; something would change on the screen, and that felt incredibly good, really fluid, um, really precise. Okay, so that's the essential theory of input and the simplest form of input. Inputs, of course, have become much more complicated—not not massively more. We'll get to the massively more complicated later. But then the next stage is some kind of analog input. Now, what what can we have as an analogue input. An interesting example is um, the human voice. If you send a human voice down a microphone, like we are doing now, it will get converted by an analogue digital digital converter, mm-hmm. um, and it will then be stored and represented as a digital waveform, which requires usually a lot more than one bit of precision. But in the old days, we used to do voice stuff, and um, I did a game in 1985 that had... Uh, voice sampling playback on a spectrum, which which was quite a thing, but nowadays it's a lot more intense. Now, you might ask, what has that got to do with, with video games? Well, SyncStar. SyncStar used a microphone and it would take as input the human voice, and then the computer, in this case a PlayStation, would do uh, a, full, uh, a fast Fourier transform, which converts that waveform into frequencies and analyzes them to tell the player if they were in tune or not. So that was a form of input as well. And then you've got things like uh, potentiometers, POTS for short, which basically represent a rotational um, amount as uh, typically a floating point value, which is then converted and turned into a, a much more analog signal. Obviously, it becomes a digital signal once in once it's in the computer. And typically, these are represented as values from zero to one. But instead of zero or one, you've got a floating point range in between, and they vary in precision, right? So these are input devices. There are many others. We'll get into the more complex and esoteric ones later on, But to very, very quickly go through some of the evolution of controllers, uh, one of the very first and most popular controllers, certainly in the home, was the Atari 2600 joystick. And this was really simple. I had uh, four directional joystick. It was held in the left hand and you use the joystick with your right hand, which is unusual because nowadays of course you don't do that. Do it with the other hand. Thank thank you, Nintendo. Um, and it had one button. So basically you had five bits of input. And from that we had tons and tons of Atari twenty six hundred arcade games. But that famous Atari joystick was also used on many, many, many other devices. Uh, so that is Atari. Was home red, computers, right? It was, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I have one. I had an Atari.
1: Nice. They, I mean, they were incredibly popular. Mm. They were you the machine. You had
0: an Atari? Yeah, I had an Atari. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I don't know why exactly. Okay. Um, because I remember it. So, like, I know that we had in my house both an Atari and a Nintendo. Like, we had an mm. NES. So, I, the obviously, the Atari was a bit older, right? So, like, I don't know exactly. Wait, were you even born
1: when the Atari came out?
0: No. I was born in <laughs> 88. This, one, this is why it's weird. I don't know why we had an Atari. Uh, <laughs>
2: that, that, that was why I asked.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Atari, though, it, it was. Uh, People still make games for it. I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, we, ha- we had an Atari of some version in my house as well as an a NES. Because like, I used to play like, Centipede and stuff. Interesting, okay. Yeah. I didn't like the uh, box art for Centipede. They used to freak me out as a kid. But the game,
1: I enjoyed. Yeah, I. I. this is... Personal, but I begged my dad for an Atari 2600. I was in my teens and he said no. Yeah, it still kills me today. I
0: can feel it. I could feel he's been, the, he's the been the my, my dad's
1: been, he passed away decades ago mm-hmm. and it still hurts. <laughs> right. Man, I could, I, oh, oh. And I can never get it back because the thing is, I could buy one today, right? Really easily, I could buy yeah. one today. But like, oh, the time was the late 70s, dad. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'm back. So, how do we progress? The next thing that achieved real penetration was the Nintendo NES controller in the early 80s. And that, instead of having a joystick, you now had a D-pad. So, still four switches, right? But now, you use your left thumb instead of your whole right hand. Probably better for the RSI. And, of course, an extra button, plus select and start buttons, But the thing I never liked about it, and yes, I did actually play it at the time, uh, were the squared-off edges, which they were to Mm. rectify with the SNES controller, which now added an X and Y to the A and B, also added a couple of shoulder buttons. It was okay. I mean, with the SNES controller, I don't know about you guys, but ergonomics started to matter to me because that was a point at which I became seriously... I'm going to say addicted. I uh, I know it's not politically correct, but i play Super Mario Kart two hours a day, every single day for 18 months straight. And boy, did that hurt my hands, that controller. I mean, when you're playing it every single day, the callus is in, in the palms of your hands. Wow.
0: I... I can totally understand how the SNES controller and the NES controller were ergonomically atrocious, but I was too young mm-hmm. for it to be a problem.
2: It's not a problem. When you're yeah. when
0: you're a kid, RSI is not a thing that exists. It's like you know, it just... when you know how Nintendo have re-released both of those controllers for the Switch, right? I just would never even imagine trying to buy and use that. Like it seems not like a horrible experience to use those controllers
1: now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thankfully, things did improve, and, and how, mm. with the original PlayStation controller. Because now we had something that felt really good to hold in the hands. This is 94, of course. Although, functionally, we didn't have an awful lot more stuff, we did have a much more comfortable controller. Then, the next big step was the Nintendo 64 controller, which had that analog stick and the Z trigger. And the nice thing about it was you could hold it three ways. Because you had three columns to that controller, if you like, I think I used it most with the central column in the left hand, mm. where I had the the stick mm-hmm. um, for playing Mario. Right, that was the way we did it.
2: Man, I love weird Nintendo controllers. This is just like the 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 N sixty four controllers with that shape and the and the cartridge slot. Like for the Rumble I, Pack, yeah. For the Rumble Pack, like but what else I, they do? Do you remember?
0: Um, I'm trying to think of games that used it. I know that oh. WWF No Mercy did.
2: Hmm. Oh, I was a uh, maybe. Is it possible that Wave Race used it? You know, World with World the Life. with the water bikes. Do you guys remember that I game? Remember yeah, that game, I love yeah. that game. I
0: remember that game.
2: Maybe that one used it. Um, and there was some Pokemon game that maybe also used it. Yeah. Maybe?
1: I don't know. But yeah, that that weird controller, it was awesome. I loved it for GoldenEye. It made GoldenEye for me, the, the game of that generation.
0: GoldenEye, Star Fox
1: 64. Yeah. Wave Race. And Mario, obviously, right? Mario, but, you know. yeah. So that was a nice step forward because it reintroduced the old school analog joysticks that we used to have in the home computing domain into a console controller in an yes. affordable form factor. Uh, Next decent innovation we had was uh, PlayStation's DualShock, which came out in 97, which, of course, had two analog sticks at last um, and built-in Rumble.
0: I remember the first time I tried to play a game that took advantage of a third person, uh, or actually just like a first or third person with the dual sticks. It was Max Payne. Mm. And I could not understand how to move (laughs) like i fundamentally could not get it and i don't remember what what it took for me to understand like the move forward with one and move the camera with the other but i vividly remember like just constantly dying in that game because i could not fathom how to move around
2: (laughs) yeah i my my first memory of the dual shock well it wasn't a mm... I remember no. I played with the Dual Shock, yeah, because I didn't get the I didn't get the PlayStation with the original controller. I think the PlayStation that I got. No, actually, my memory is wrong. I had both the very first PlayStation One controller, and then later I also got the Dual Shock. Yeah, my first PlayStation, it ca- I played initially like the, the first year with the standard one. Yeah, because right? the, the original the
0: PlayStation the... controller wasn't the uh dual shock controller was it? It was it was something else. That's right, yeah.
2: I remember upgrading to the dual shock and trying to play mm, uh, it was back then it was called I think it's still called in Japan Winning Eleven, which would be Pro Evolution Soccer yes. yeah, for yeah. us. With the dual shock and I thought that was very weird. And also I remember one of the first games and correct me if I'm wrong that actually took advantage of the Dual Six was Ace Escape. Uh, do you need it to catch the monkeys? Do you oh, guys ape remember? Ape Escape, that? yeah. Mm. Ape Escape, not Acescape. Yeah. Escape. Ape Escape. I think Ape Escape worked in that you were moving with the left stick and using the net to catch the monkeys with the right stick. Hmm. I think that was one of the first games that I used with the Dual Shock.
1: You know what? I found the Dual Shock initially really difficult because at, at that time, I mean, I was heavily developing as part of a. Uh, pretty big team at the time. And most of the time, we would be playing games on the PC. So we would have LAN, Quake, and that kind of thing going on on the PC. So everyone was used to keyboard and mouse at this point. And the mouse just gave you much better control over the camera. And direction was done digitally with the keyboard. You know, you'd move around with WASD on the keyboard, right? So, when it came to Gran Turismo for example on the PlayStation 1 I was better at it with the original PlayStation controller than I was with the DualShock because I'd got so used to using the D-pad to finesse my control you know touch 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 let go touch touch let let go to change the steering so when it came to the DualShock I was going I was doing exactly the same thing instead of using the way it was meant to be used yeah. that is Simulating the steering by moving the uh, stick gently. You know, I just never really got the hang of that until much, much later. It took me years to get used to that. It's really odd. Ape Escape required the Dual Shock, by the way. Right. It was right. like an
2: actual requirement. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was, um, that was a nice little game.
2: Yeah, they remade a version for the PSP at some point. Ah. It did not go well. Anyway. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? A PSP game?
2: It didn't go well. It was yeah, P huh? well, come on. oh no, you wanna you want talk? No, we should do a PSP episode, man. I love the PSP. In All fact, right, and well, I'm sorry, Shane. I love okay, the PSP more go. than I love the Vita.
0: What about next time we do an episode about the PlayStation Portable? Will that make you happy? Alright. So I'm
2: texting my mom right now. Okay. Go and find my old PSP.
0: Find the PSP. All right.
1: All right. Okay, cool. I'm sorry, Shade. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer these distractions. I mean, I, I think the point I'm trying to make with all, all of this progression is that evolution has been really gradual. There's, there have not been many massive breakthroughs. I mean, let's quickly fly through the rest. Sega uh, Dreamcast in the late 90s. Biggest innovation there? Couple of analog triggers and an expansion slot for their visual memory unit, which a little is basically screen. like yeah, a tiny little screen. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. They were so pretty and nice. Yeah, you know, PlayStation were going to do one, and they just inexplicably dropped it. it Would have been so cool. I didn't know that. It was a little accessory. It's it a twenty quid thing. It was. It didn't plug into the. I don't think it plugged into anything, but it could be played on its own, uh, and they just dropped it. Obviously I wasn't with PlayStation at the time, but I was sad that it never happened. But um GameCube, the GameCube controller. Now I know you love this, Federico. The GameCube controller, I'm gonna talk about
2: it in a few minutes. It's it I think it's my all-time favorite controller, which I know it's a pretty divisive opinion because there's either like you either love the GameCube controller like I do, or you think it's just a poor, poorly designed controller. It's it's very polarizing i would say as a design uh mm. I've, over the years i've heard from folks saying yes it's the best controller ever and others saying no i kind of hate it it's it's a garbage controller so i fall on the side of this is my favorite controller ever
1: it was a i, I thought it was a really well designed controller it's a natural evolution from the nintendo 64 controller uh, i think the biggest issue with it for for some people, was the fact that the analog sticks were asymmetric. Um, but apart from that, it felt really well balanced. And so I will say, I'm not I'm not picking the GameCube
0: controller, but I think the GameCube controller is probably the best controller I've ever made, because there are design elements of that which are in my favourite controllers today, like the asymmetrical analog sticks. I prefer the asymmetrical design far more than the PlayStation-level, like, symmetrical design. Um, I find the symmetrical design of the DualShock to be uncomfortable, but the asymmetrical design that's in Nintendo's controllers and Microsoft's controllers, I think, is far superior, personally. And it's, it's what I much prefer. So I thank the GameCube controller for bringing that into existence. If
1: you think about it, it's a pretty bold move, you know?
0: It's a crazy looking controller, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like purple and yellow and red and green <laughs> I mean the, and gray. I mean The
1: console is a cube. So with the well, handle, yes. so you know, I love the GameCube. <laughs> is this a time? Is this a time for us to all agree that the GameCube was one of the most? Uh, unloved, undeservedly unloved mm-hmm. machines mm-hmm. in existence. It was look ahead of its I loved time. I the GameCube. That well, look, was you're its talking, problem.
2: You're talking to a guy who recently bought a GameCube again. <laughs> did so you? I did. When did
0: you buy a GameCube?
2: <laughs> a couple of months ago.
0: Why did you because... never
2: tell me about these things? <laughs> I want to know if ashamed. you're buying a GameCube. <laughs> I was kind of ashamed of it. Um, well... Uh, so I was, um, in my quest, which is going to take me a long time to complete the national Pokedex in, in Pokemon home. So 900 uh... something Pokemon. I needed to get one Pokemon from a very specific GameCube demo disc that was only released in America. Oh, you did
0: tell me about this. You did tell yeah, me I about think this. Yeah, yeah, you, about yeah, it. Yeah, you so did.
2: So in buying the demo disc on eBay, I also needed an American GameCube because of region lock. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I bought a GameCube. You know, it was like a hundred dollars. It was like a used GameCube, but it was in very good condition. And so yeah, um, I mean, the GameCube is like is a special place in my heart forever. In fact, I don't, I do not understand it, why Nintendo isn't bringing back more. Like those GameCube games should be on some kind of virtual console.
1: Super Mario Sunshine. Mario Sunshine,
2: if it's true, like the rumor that they are working on a Mario Sunshine remaster, and if the Metroid Prime trilogy eventually for real like comes back to the Switch, that would be really nice. But yeah, the GameCube was a console that did very poorly that I think a few people loved very much. And I'm among those people.
0: I think a lot of my fondest video game memories come from playing. Yep. GameCube, same. Like same. I had the GameCube, and I bought this screen which went on top of it, so you could just. You did? Oh, yeah, you had yeah, the screen? Yeah. I had yeah. the screen. Oh my! So you could just tilt the screen up, like it used to close down. You'd lift it up, and you had like a tiny screen. So I used to just sit in bed with the GameCube, just playing I used to play Super Mario Sunshine and one of the Tony Hawk games. Um, I think it might Whoa. have been four Tony Hawk's Pro Skater four. They were just like playing those two games on that console. So good. Like a couple of days ago, my, my younger brother sent me a link to the rumor about Super Mario Sunshine coming back. And he's like, Oh man, I remember, the, I remember watching you play this game, right? Because he was younger than me. So he used to, you know, like I would play the games and he would watch. And like I put so many hours into Sunshine because I liked just going around the little environment like not mm. like even after i beat the game like i used to just enjoy like sh- shooting up to the rooftops and running around and you know i just loved that game for the world that it made so yeah
1: yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that the gamecube didn't succeed like it should have done because it had those optical discs it was little discs, those, yeah yeah and if it had cartridges it might have succeeded
0: was it that it was difficult for, for companies to develop for the, the, yeah, the little small disks? Yeah. Okay, because I assume there were pretty, uh, pretty strong memory concerns or
1: whatever, right? Well, the, the, the biggest deal with those disks was that they were slow to read. Ah, and so they okay. changed the experience. Uh, and people were very used to a very fast experience. You didn't have load times in Nintendo before the GameCube. Hmm. So that was the first time we ever experienced load times and no longer felt like a toy. And it was up against the, um, the already incredibly well-performing PlayStation, which yeah. was basically, uh, well, we know the PlayStation story. So next, we have the biggest departure from this evolutionary tree that I think we've seen. Uh, and that was with Nintendo's Wiimote, uh of 2006. And they, they really went for the whole casual thing um in a very big way uh with total belief they they decided after gamecube that they were going to sidestep the whole performance race and they didn't think they could win that and they decided to go for a different market and my god did they nail it with with the wii um and and the wii mote produced some great games and there were other interesting devices as well you know you had the the wii fit and so on that went along with that I think the nunchuck was kind of like their uh, nod to, uh, and I hate to use this term, the core gamer, uh, but people who wanted a more traditional control. Yep. And it was okay, but it was a Wiimote that really made that thing sell like hotcakes, very accessible, just like a TV remote, so approachable. And we move on to the Sony PlayStation 6-axis uh, controller with the which came out with the ps3 and um kind of with a a nod to the wiimote it had and of course playstation will rightly say well look we were all already working on this stuff but it had accelerometers funny thing about six axis is it is a palindrome but it's not really six axes. Oh you know. my
2: god, it is a palindrome. <laughs> six
0: six axes. <laughs> right. yeah. Welcome
1: to two thousand and like four. Two thousand and four called
0: <laughs> <Paul laughs> wants
1: to tell you about palindromes. So, yeah, yeah know, cool. the thing is, it's, it's not really six axes, though. So, kind of, you know, it, it's forced. It's six degrees of freedom. But whatever, you know, it, it allowed. Um, PlayStation developers start making games where you could balance the character walking across a log (laughs) so on, you know, whatever. It's not quite the same thing as a remote, but it did give the players way more options.
0: Sony have tried a lot of gimmicks in their controllers that haven't worked, right? Like the six axis is one of them. The touchpad is another one. Like none of them I feel like have really caught on. Like and they end up being these kind of legacy features that just kind of get dragged through the, into the future now. Like it's like like on the the, the upcoming uh, PlayStation Five controller, it's like yeah, the touchpad's still there, but like don't pay attention to it anymore. It's 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 kind of this this funny little thing.
1: Yeah, though I I would rather companies tried this stuff and failed than didn't mm-hmm. try. I mean, yep. well, something that. Uh, You're right, though. I mean, developers tend to stick to the tried and tested. And the reason it's very hard for any single company to make some new input feature stick is because there's not enough benefit when you're porting it to other platforms. You know, you'll lose that benefit when you go elsewhere.
0: Yes, because I was just about to say Nintendo have a pretty good track record, but that's because Nintendo's games are Nintendo's games and they
1: can do whatever they want with them. Exactly. Yeah. But when when you're a publisher and you want your game on as many platforms as possible, mm-hmm. it takes incentive on the part of a console. Listen, I'm I'm the one who was responsible at PlayStation for trying to sell the PlayStation Move way before PSVR yeah. to developers and publishers and say, "You really, we really would like you to support this." You know, it was a tough sell, and um, we we got bits of interest, but really, what it boiled down to was, well are we going to see a return on our investment? And the answer was invariably no. I mean, I wouldn't say you're not going to see a return on your investment. My my answer was always, yeah, but you're going to get to make something that's cool that will be remembered and will give people joy. But of course, they're about making money and who can blame them. But yeah, that's why these things don't stick. It's only when you take, this is why the whole VR thing, right, was much more of a a cross-company collaborative type approach, because they all realize that if they diverge too much, then developers just wouldn't join in because right. it would get too confusing too quickly. Uh, but to finish up on controllers, let's talk about probably the most successful controllers of recent times—the, and of course, I'm talking about the Switch Joy Cons, which had so many innovations had nothing to do with the controller itself and everything to do the way you could use them singly joint detached combined on the device itself away from the device um just a spectacularly versatile pair of controllers yes. really uncomfortable but <laughs> yeah especially for yeah. people with rsi but so so flexible Apart from that, the only real innovation there was high-definition rumble. I think it's much more important to remember the Switch Joy-Cons for their use versatility, Mm. which I think is unprecedented. And then there's, of course, our friend the Stadia controller, uh, which I said we'd come back to. And what makes our that friend. interesting? <laughs> Is it
2: our friend? Is it really?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I am. I'm trying to be nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I wanna
2: be. Na- I wanna keep an open mind. Okay. I, you know, I, wanna, I wanna be I, nice. I, to I you. tried
1: it recently. Okay. Um. Interesting. And I. I had a good experience. Hmm. And this was on a laptop in a browser. mm Hmm with the controller plugged in wide over a decent speed network, it has to be said. Yep. But I really enjoyed it. I played a driving game. The, there was latency, obvious latency, but game experience is good. I played a, a third-person game. I think it was one of the Metro games, which was running absolutely fine, looked really decent. So, you know, I was kind of dubious at first, but I'm kind of coming round to it. I still have a basic issue with with lag, and I think everyone does, but the lag is not as bad as I feared it would be. But the biggest deal with those controllers is that the the stadia controls, and I don't have a stadia controller yet, but um the stadia controllers themselves have Wi-Fi built in, so they connect your router direct to the Google servers, thus saving some time. Other than that, there's nothing innovative about them at all. And I, I would argue that, that all that does is it mitigates for some of the lag. So it's not really a positive because it's not giving you a benefit over anything else. Yeah, it's actually trying to downplay a disadvantage. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I wouldn't call that an innovation. That's like a a workaround. Uh, and forthcoming, we have uh, Sony's PlayStation 5 DualSense. Again, HD rumble, like the Switch Joy-Cons, a microphone apparently, and my favorite, um, resisting triggers. I forgot to mention the DualShock fours touchpad, but then everybody forgot about the touch touchpad anyway, right no yeah it's really only uncharted it.
0: it's like the only yeah. game it was ever used in. <laughs>
1: it's like oh, that's the thing i mean it it speaks to your point about uh Sony trying stuff, which uh-huh. is laudable uh-huh. but developers not really supporting it, like the light, yeah,
0: yeah, right it's like I think the only good thing that I can think of that they've that they've brought in in recent years. You know, I was going to say this, but they weren't even first to do it, which was to put a speaker in it. You know, uh, that that I think was a cool thing, but they weren't the first to do that. Um, so, you know, like, but the the thing is, though, I mean, it can, it, you know, and I completely understand this, that many people feel that the uh, DualShock is the best design ever, and I understand it. Um, but I just think that, like, Sony as you say they try a lot which is good they should try a lot of stuff uh, but they haven't really had the best results with the innovations that they've brought into the space after the DualShock. right like the DualShock changed the way that game controllers were made nothing else since did that really right like
1: yeah and you could argue that that we're still not really that much further on and we're, we're not looking for no. for something completely new and
0: not sure we'll necessarily get it. The Joy-Con is probably the closest to yeah. completely new. Uh completely new and non gimmicky, really. Yeah. Because it's like yeah. there is a gimmick, but the gimmick is a is a benefit and you can you can adapt them. But I'm sure one of us is going to talk about them. We should we should lift off some of our favorite controllers. But before we do, I wanted to take a, a short break just to let people know about the Relay FM membership program. Uh, you can become a Relay FM member and support this show and other shows here at the network. Uh, you can find the link in the show notes at the very top of the show notes to become a Relay FM member and support Remaster directly. This gets you tons of benefits, including loads of wonderful. Uh, extra pieces of content. You know, we have bonus shows. We have monthly bonus shows that are just for Relay FM members. But the newest feature that we've added is the Relay FM members discord, which is a wonderful closed moderated community of Relay FM listeners and like minded individuals uh, talking about all of the types of things that you love as a Relay FM listener. So you can find out more at Relay.fm membership. But if you want to become a member and support this show, you can just uh, subscribe by hitting the link in the show notes. So I, for my favorite controllers, I took, I reckon, a different tact to what the two of you will do in that I picked what I think is my favorite controller design and then two controllers which changed the way that I experience video games in a a positive way. So
2: Hmm.
0: I think that the best controller I've ever used is the Xbox Elite Controller which for $150, bloody better be, right? <laughs> um, but like, you know, it the the overall design of the Xbox controller is preferable to me, as I mentioned earlier in reference the GameCube, right? It has the asymmetrical design, which I find more comfortable. Um, and I like the overall layout of the controller. I actually like that it is also, the proportions are chunkier, um, just feels more comfortable to me to use over long periods of time. Uh, you get a lot of customization options. That's why you go for the elite control. Like if you if you want that, that's that's what it's for. In that you can replace some of the buttons. You can change the height of the sticks. Uh, I like that you can swap out the D pad for this like circular angled circular pad, which allows for more kind of um, easy movement. Um, and of course, the I like the sensitivity of the triggers. That you can adjust that, so you can use hair triggers instead. So I just like that kind of stuff. Um, but, like, the the Xbox overall design of controller, I, I prefer to to uh, Sony's. So, you know, the, the Elite controller would be what I consider to be, like, the, the perfected controller. Like, the best as a controller can be. I'll give, like, a, a shout-out to the uh, Switch Pro Controller. I love the Pro Controller. It's how I play all my Switch games. I find it very comfortable. Um, it's nowhere near as exciting as the GameCube controller, but kind of takes a lot of again that 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 design language and moves it forward right like it's it you can see the cues there as to the way that Nintendo believe a standalone controller should be made. Uh the second one I wanted to pick is the Oculus Touch controllers because they really are a they're really something special like the first time you use a touch controller and you realize that the buttons also have touch sensitivity so you can you know like it knows when your fingers are extended because you're not touching the buttons and when your hands are slightly closed and fully closed and that design immediately helps you feel like your hands are real in the game that you're playing right that you can point at things that you can pick things up, you can hold a gun and shoot a gun and they are distinct, different actions. Um, The way that all of that is brought together really enhances VR gaming. It's very, very clever. Um, It's the first controller that I've used that really feels like an extension of your body, right? Not something that is an interface for the game, right? Like controllers, it's like, this is me, I impact the controller the controller impacts the game but the touch controllers are like no the controller is me and that is a very like it's very high concept but it's a different experience and I think you know you you kind of it's easy to forget that there's a controller there um it's very cool I was trying out with my Oculus the the hand tracking that I'm intrigued to see how well they can make that work, but that was mm-hmm. again like another step forward. But the controllers had for the the precision, and then kind of the lo- the last one I wanted to mention was the Wii Remote because that thing is a weird ass controller, but completely revolutionized gaming. It's nothing been like it beforehand. It changed the way that video games were played by bringing motion sensor to the controller, right? And it was, by all stretch of the imagination, a very weird video and game controller. But it changed. It 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 opened a new paradigm for how games can be played that we're still seeing today, right? Like I just referenced touch controllers. I think that the Wii remote had to exist for people to even begin to think that VR could give could come back again because it took games from being a stationary experience to a, a more physical experience again. And the success of the Wii was because of the Wii remote. Like there was nothing exciting about the Wii. The Wii remote was what sold that console. You know, and like that's what made it the success that it was because, because of the Wii Remote, you could play bowling, you could do bow and arrow, right? Like, and it was a much more inclusive design because it didn't rely on being able to use dual analog sticks. Like, that's not what the Wii was about, and that Mm. made it a very special. Experience the IR sensor that you had to plug into the TV was a total pain in the ass. Like, just yeah. hate that thing. And it had weird accessories like the nunchuck, right? What we mentioned earlier. It had the little speaker inside though, which was just so clever and cool and felt like you know, first time you heard it, it was like, whoa, what was that? Right? Like, it's like a great little moment. Mm-hmm. And it and it also you could put the Wemo inside of other things like steering wheels. That people really enjoyed that. And it was also great for virtual console games because you could turn it sideways and play it like a like an NES controller. So I think that, that that controller was was very special. And you know, and you can see that design today carried on into the Joy-Con. Right, there is a mm-hmm. distinct line drawn, but like the Joy-Con are basically just two tiny Wiimotes. Um, it's a very clever design that Nintendo created that really kind of you know. Nintendo are able to make the switch today because of the Wii Remote success, because the Wii Remote was incredibly successful for them, kind of helping save them after the failure of the GameCube, and was so successful that it carried them through another failure of the Wii U, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Wii Remote saved Nintendo, which is a wild thing to say, but I believe it, and it's one of the reasons I love that controller. Did you get the Wii
2: Motion Plus accessory when it came out? Yes. Uh, I
0: course, had all the Wii accessories. I had the Wii yeah. Fit. You know, I could did the whole, you know, we were, we're, we're a big Fit. Wii family. Like, had the whole shebang.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the Wii. Um, so, obviously, my first pick is going to be the GameCube controller. I, As I said before, it, it is p- quite possibly my favorite controller of all time. And that's for a couple of reasons. First is the, like, the emotional reason that, you know... I also have some of my fondest video game memories with the GameCube using the, game, the GameCube controller. But it also is the most comfortable controller I've ever used because I just adore its configuration and its layout. So the weird wing-based design with the D-pad and the C-stick lower compared to the left analog stick and the face buttons. That layout... No pun intended, instantly clicked for me. It just it was so good. In fact, I loved that configuration both with the original wired GameCube controller as well as the WaveBird, which is the wireless version the big that Nintendo. Boy. The big, thick boy with the wireless <laughs> receiver and the built-in battery pack. It was my first wireless controller. And that, to me, like, that showed me the future of wireless controllers. Wasn't
0: it the first wireless controller? I think
2: it was the first one. I was like, yes, in the future, all controllers yeah. should be like this one. No wires. I can play, you know, from a distance. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I coveted that. I, I never had the WaveBird, but boy, did I want one.
2: The WaveBird was amazing. Uh, but really, what what I love about the GameCube controller is a series of details. Uh, the face buttons have this peculiar configuration where there's a larger green A button, mm-hmm. and there's a smaller red B button, and then you have this other two face buttons, X and Y, that are like two arc buttons. And... That configuration, like my thumb can instantly feel the bigger A button, which is usually used to like confirm oh, yeah. stuff or like it's yeah. the main action That's button. That's a good point.
0: I'd never thought of that before. That that unlike controllers now, those different shapes made it much easier yes. to know what you're pressing.
2: Exactly. Mm. So you can you can tell just by feeling and it's not just by feeling Compare like the the position Mm -hmm. of a button, which you may do with the DualShock or the Xbox controller, you actually feel the the position and the different shape. So like it it becomes very easy to confirm menus or to cancel operations inside of a menu using the B button. Uh, The C-stick was also very nice for navigating menus or for like controlling the camera. It was used in a bunch of different ways in different games. In Mario Sunshine, I believe it was used to control the camera. In other games, you would use it to like in Super Smash Bros. Melee, you would use it to perform a melee move uh, like it, i just love the way that it felt uh, both the analog sticks actually felt really good to me the d-pad was kind of a letdown not the best d-pad that nintendo's ever made i never loved the feeling of the of the gamecube controller's d-pad the l and r triggers In the back, they were also very nice in that they could behave in two ways. So they could be analog triggers, so you just keep pressing them and they would do something. But you could also click them uh, when fully depressed, and the click would actually register in the in 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 a game. So that was very nice. I love this controller a lot. In fact, I bought the <laughs> remake that Nintendo did for the Wii U when Super Smash Bros. Ultimate came out on the Wii U. Well, I also bought the adapter, which is now kind of rare, that allowed you to use an original GameCube controller with a Wii U. And I think it also it still works with the Switch, I think, via USB. And I also purchased a replica a third-party replica of the GameCube controller made by a company called Power A. Uh, it's a wireless controller shaped like a GameCube controller that works with the Nintendo Switch. So I absolutely love the GameCube controller. I'm going to mention the Joy-Cons. I know that a lot of people dislike the Joy-Cons and I know that the Joy-Cons are also sort of a you know, they have these technical problems, especially the so-called Joy-Con drift, which mm-hmm. still affects a lot of people. And I'm fully aware of those technical issues. But thankfully, all the, jo- the Joy-Cons that I got, they always worked
0: correctly for me. I have drift in, in one of
2: my... Oh, that's too bad. It's fine. It's no, like
0: whatever. Like, I, I don't use the Joy-Con that much. And
2: yeah. I have I a joy
0: con somewhere, I think.
2: Mm. What I do love about the Joy-Cons is the fact that they allow for different styles of play. So I can either use the Switch in portable mode, which I I do a lot, or I can dock the console and use the Joy-Cons like one Joy-Con per hand, which I still do quite frequently, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. I know that it was like one of the gimmicks that Nintendo tried to sell people on at launch. And I think a lot of people have stopped maybe using the Nintendo Switch like that, but I still do because I really, really like being able to hold these tiny controllers in my hands. Mm -hmm. And also like I got, at one point I got really into like collecting Joy-Cons, because of course that's what I do. And so I do have a bunch of like different colors and limited editions. I have a Joy-Con that has a D-pad, uh, which actually would be one of my only negative comments about the Joy-Cons. They don't have an actual D-pad. Um, so I bought one from Hori that had an actual D-pad on the left Joy-Con. So yeah, I I feel like because of that peculiar nature of being able to dock into the console or be detached, you can turn them sideways if you want. You can give them on to another person and play together a multiplayer game. They deserve a, a spot in my list. Also because the Nintendo Switch is actually becoming the console that i played the most in my entire life. Mm-hmm. When you consider that I'm now at well over 420 hours in Pokemon Sword. <sighs> So I think the switch, and when you add in, when you factor in the 30 hours of Mario Odyssey and the 250 hours into Breath of the Wild, I do think the switch is the console I've played the most in my entire life, so yeah, the joy cons are great, and lastly, I would mention the dual shock, like um I really, really, really like the dual shock, and unlike Mike I, I I was never able to get adjusted to the Xbox controller. Like I have an Xbox one, I have an Elite controller, I also have the new Elite, like the second version, but the DualShock it just it just works for me in in a way that the Xbox controller never did. Uh and I guess that maybe it's because I've played more PlayStation growing up than Xbox, so maybe I'm more used to the layout. I also think there's an a- there's like even even for the DualShock there's an emotional aspect because I think it's so iconic. It's the controller that I used. In addition to the GameCube controller, like growing up playing with my PlayStation, I really just like it. I think it's a solid controller. Um, the, it's a standard configuration that works well for me. The D-pad, the face buttons, the triggers—they have been, con- and the, and the analog sticks—they have been consistently great over the years. I really love the feeling of the analog sticks on the on the DualShock Four. Um, the light bar, which is one of the gimmicks of the DualShock Four. It's okay, I not not the useful really, but it's all right, I guess. Um, I love the the PlayStation button in the DualShock Four, the central circular button, super easy to reach, super easy to use. I really very much dislike the options and share buttons because I can never feel them by touch. Mm-hmm. I always have to go look where they are in the on the controller. So. I really like the DualShock 4. I am super excited about the DualSense. Uh actually coming in and shaking things up a little with the PS5. The DualSense is actually one of the features that is currently exciting me the most about the next generation. So the idea of like this uh, fine-tuned haptic feedback and the and the and the feedback into the into the shoulder uh, buttons and the triggers and the stuff that Sony is doing with audio, I'm very intrigued by the dual sense. So yeah, but the Dual Shock is one of my one of my all-time favorite for sure. Definitely the four for you, yeah? Uh yeah, I would say the four. Overall, yeah. I would
1: say the DualShock shock four, yeah. So my favorite controller of all time, probably the Oculus Quest headset. Hmm. Now, you might well ask, how is that a controller? Well, remember at the opening, I said that the purpose of a controller is to convey the intent of the player to the game. And that's uh, exactly what the headset
0: mm, does. Mm, yeah, because it's, it's still movement, isn't it? You control the yeah. movement with it.
1: Yeah, clever. And it does it in the most innate way that we have of expressing our intent. When we hear a sound, we move our head to where that sound is. There is no other system, apart from VR, that recreates that feeling. And obviously, when you see something happening, what do you do? You see something out the corner of your eye, what do you do? You look towards it and you don't think. It just happens. Whereas the mapping of controller buttons to intent needs to be learned. Whereas all this other movement that you do Mm -hmm. with your head is already there. So that's the kind of thing that developers can take advantage of. I, I have been working in VR development for a while, um, unsuccessfully, but, you know, still been working, uh, making demos in in VR. And this was why, because for me, it's profoundly powerful to have your entire world change before your eyes the way the real world would change as you move your head around. Mm. Now, this is obviously contingent on decent frame rate which modern VR headsets achieve, the Quest achieves as well. And of course, the great thing about the Quest headset is it's wireless. So you barely notice it. You know, once you've had it on for a minute or two, if your um, lenses are not getting fogged up, uh, that's not a euphemism, by the way, Uh, Mm -hmm. I actually mean that, Um, then you are good to go for a long time and you don't even realize you're, you're wearing a headset. I think half an hour, for me, is about the longest I can wear a Quest headset. And in that time, it is sensational. And I do feel like I'm somewhere else. And there have been times when I swung the controller out and bashed something, because I was so convinced I was yeah. in this world. Yeah, and, and that, for me, is the whole point of control. The, earlier on, you were talking about how close, I think it was you, Mike, saying about how closely was it with the Wiimote that it it kind of matched your intent, yeah, and for me the the quest is a thing that has done that the best, and that's what control is about for me more than anything. I mean, yes, there are other aspects to intent. we are um, mobile human beings we you locomotion is part of our lives, less so in the days of coronavirus, but nevertheless, we tend to move around, and so full freedom of movement is something that i Don't think it's going to happen for a while with VR because obviously the world is blocked out. But if you have a reasonable amount of space and you have a headset that doesn't have cable, something like a Quest is just profoundly affecting in the way that it changes the way you see um, a game world. Because you no longer see a game world, you're in the game world. And we've had this conversation many times, but we very quickly forget that the VR headset is not just an output device. It is the primary input device. And there are many VR games that can be played almost entirely. Uh, Certainly the earlier VR games with just the headset, you know, you would use gaze to focus on something. It's not necessarily the best UI, but it is a UI. And that brings me neatly on to my second favorite uh, controller of all time. And you will probably not be surprised to hear that it's the Oculus Touch controllers. Mm. For exactly the same reasons, I'm not going to repeat what you said, Mike, because I pretty much echo everything that you said. And again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. The whole point of control device, controller devices is to map a human being's intent to a machine. And these do it better than any other input device for my hands that I've ever used. Mm -hmm. and you know i've i've been programming these things so i know exactly what it's like to handle the programming of the gestures that are possible and the response to those gestures and let me tell you the really exciting thing about a controller like the 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 touch is just how rich the input stream coming in is for the developer you've got This controller moving with six degrees of freedom. And then you've got all of these different buttons. And you've got, as you say, the ability to sense whether your finger is just resting on the button or pressing the button, how far the button is being pressed. Yeah, because of course there's triggers on there as well, which allows you to create gestures. So you can make it seem like your character in the game is pointing a finger even though what you might just be doing is lifting your finger a little bit off the button. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the the thing is, most human beings don't do that unless you're deliberately trying to break it. And if you're immersed in a VR game, you're not deliberately trying to break it. You want to have that full experience. So people will actually do those things. So just try and interpret all the different ways you could use your hand and channel that really rich stream into the device and then turn it into output is really rewarding for developers it's a really very different way of creating expression in a video game and finally and i have to say this the dualshock 4 controllers yeah they didn't there have this <laughs> uh, what can i say They 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 didn't affect me as profoundly as the question, the touch. But I mentioned the question, the touch from the perspective of someone who's been in the industry for almost four decades and has seen us move from one bit switches to where we are today. And the profound impact that these devices have had on me, even at this late stage in my career, and let's face it, my life. But the PlayStation DualShock Four. Okay, <laughs> Why Because <laughs> let's face it, I ain't young like you guys. A bit late um, stage is in the front. <laughs> okay, middle age, late there middle age go. then. <laughs> okay, sentimental reasons. It's got to be said, but also because you know the thing I noticed with developers because as you know, I was talking to a lot of developers at the time, was that in the previous generation, the de- developers absolutely adored the Xbox 360 controller. And whenever they bring a demo in, they were using that controller. And not long after the DualShock 4 came out, they were happily using the DualShock 4 for demos. Right. And the DualShock 4 is, for me, sentimental because... Not only did it kind of knock the Xbox 360 off its perch amongst the development community, certainly at that time, things might have changed now, I don't know. But it just, for me, it, it was the most comfortable traditional style controller I'd ever held. It did everything I wanted it to do, and then some felt great. I could play with it for hours. And in the early days, I certainly did. And to this day, I have not held a more comfortable, more usable, more approachable controller. I have the same criticisms. I still can't remember after seven years which way round um, the share button and the option button is. Uh, I think share is on the left. I could be wrong. You never um, know. <laughs> but apart from that, pretty much flawless. The touchpad is wasted, sadly. I can't imagine why anyone would want to use it other than playstation developers it's not really a very practical input source either because okay. i i would imagine for the same reason the playstation vita back touch was not very practical all of the other stuff though is immensely practical and you know i I'm, I'm trying to style this out and tell you why i think it's a good controller from a physical perspective yeah it's really comfortable but I have sentimental reasons for why that's my third favourite controller, so I'm going to go with the, with a the sentiment.